You're listening to the One Peter Five podcast. It is a real joy for us to welcome you all here. Abemus Papan. Rebuilding Catholic culture, restoring Catholic tradition. Hello and welcome to the One Peter Five podcast, episode number sixty-five. I'm Steve Skojak. So today we're trying a little bit of a technical experiment. I've noticed that lately the webcam that I normally use for recording podcasts, which sits on top of my computer monitor, uh, it's really looking bad when the video is finally encoded and it's put up on the web. I notice it looks different on my computer than it does on the television. For those of you who watch the show on TV, it's, it's blowing out the exposure. I'm just, I'm not really happy with it. And I don't know if you know this, Webcams are totally sold out right now. You go online, everybody's bought all the webcams because everybody's stuck at home doing meetings via Zoom, etc. So speaking of Zoom, we have a little bit of an issue with Zoom. Zoom is what we use to record the guest segments of video podcasts. And it's been creating a problem because it downsamples the video and the audio so that they sound worse, which ends up uh, leaving me with a lot of editing on the back end. And there's some things I can fix. I record a backup audio stream and I resync the audio separately so that you have a high quality sound file, especially for those of you who are listening on the audio only podcast. I don't want you to hear all that compression that makes me sound like I'm inside of a tin can when I'm talking. But the video portion is an issue. Now today I am interviewing Jesse Romero. The interview's already done uh, and I can tell you that when I went back and looked at the video quality after Zoom finished converting the files, it downgraded the video quality sufficiently, significantly, not sufficiently, significantly. Now, if you look at this video right now, this is a high definition video. This is what the camera that I'm currently using should be producing. This is a Sony a7 III. It's a mirrorless camera. It's designed to do high definition up to 4K video shooting as well as still photography. I use this camera to film the one Peter five minute. You may have noticed that there uh, is a higher quality there than on the podcast. The podcast is really, I'm providing you with a video component to go with the audio for those of you who prefer to watch the podcasts on YouTube. Uh, many of you though, continue to download and listen to the podcast through iTunes and Stitcher and, and Google podcasts. So the audio component is the focus there, not the video. So that's why I've been using the webcam for that. So I don't have to move the camera setup over and reset it up and, and you know, it's a small office. I only have so much room to do so many things with cameras and lights, etc. This may be all very inside baseball, but I want to explain this to you because when the interview portion of this show begins, you're going to notice a significant degradation in video quality, pixelation, fuzziness. It's just not going to look very good. That's zoom. That's all zoom. It was recorded with the same camera. You're seeing this on now. Uh, but when zoom, uh, converted the files, they came in at like 480p, uh, really low res, I had to blow them up 300% just to fit into the high definition timeline in the editing software. So that when it uploads to YouTube, it tells whatever device you're viewing it on, this is an HD stream, and you can view it in HD. So all that's very technical, but I wanted to explain and to apologize, I am actively looking for an alternative to zoom. Zoom's fine for the meeting portion. If you're having meetings on Zoom, probably enjoy it. I'm not worried about security. We're not talking about anything private. These are public podcasts, so that's not an issue for me. But I need software that records audio and video over the internet 
at sufficiently high quality that it can go on our YouTube channel. And so far, I haven't found software that's able to do both and do it well. Now, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're aware of a piece of software that does this, please leave a comment, send me an email at steve at onepeter5.com. I am happy to switch. I am willing to pay for this solution. It doesn't have to be something free. I pay for Zoom now. Uh, but I would really like to be able to offer the highest quality video to you that's available. We have the equipment, and yet the final product is out of our control because of encoding and things that go on at the software level. So I just want to get that out of the way right now. Secondly, I need to tell you about the promotion that TanBooks has offered us for this uh, episode. Jesse Romero just wrote a book. It's called A Catholic Vote for Trump. And Tan Books has offered a special promo code to our audience. It's only good for one week at checkout. If you go to tanbooks.com, you buy that book. In fact, I've been told if you buy any book in their catalog, anything you want, you can apply 15% off to your order if you put in the promo code 1P515. I'm going to put it on the screen so you can see exactly how it's spelled. 1P515, that goes in the promo code at checkout. You'll get 15% off your whole order at TanBooks. It's good only for a week. I want to thank them for offering this to the One Peter Five audience. Um, so whether it's Jesse's book or something else, um, please make sure to make use of that code. So finally today, I'm just going to let you know, I'm discontinuing the COVID updates as of right now. I don't want to get into the statistics every time. It seems that the curve has leveled off. We're going to see a lot of discussion about when things are going to reopen and what's going to happen there. There's still a lot of medical questions up in the air. There's questions of the continued spread, et cetera. This is not the COVID podcast. It is the One Peter Five podcast. Uh, I did spend a few weeks talking about this because I know that it's been on everyone's mind, but I think we're all ready to move on and look at other things while still kind of keeping an eye on what's going on. So don't expect any more of those updates unless something major changes. Other than that, I just would like to get to the interview portion of this show. So Stick around. We'll be right back with Jesse Romero. Do you love One Peter Five? Do you want to join in our fight? Go to onepeter5.com forward slash donate today. Thank you for your support. With me now is Jesse Romero, a Catholic evangelist, speaker, and author of multiple books, the latest of which is A Catholic Vote for Trump, the only choice in 2020 for Republicans, Democrats, and independents alike. Jesse, thanks for joining me today. Thanks a lot, Steve, for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. So we met recently and kind of started getting up to speed uh, you know, on what each other does. And for those in our audience who aren't familiar with your work, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into doing what you're doing today. Sure. I was uh, born and raised in Southern California. I just, I've, I've only lived here in the Phoenix area for five years. So in Southern California, that's where I went to Catholic school all my life. And I can just tell you that I grew up in the environment of Kumbaya, Catholicism, balloons, banners, and butterflies. And so I was not prepared to, to really take on the issues of life. My, my, my moral conscience wasn't well-formed. I was more of a secular humanist with a, you know, Catholic uh, baptismal, you know, and sacramental and confirmation uh, validation. But the fact is, 
I joined the sheriff's department very early on. At the age of 19, I worked as a civilian. At 21, I went to the academy. My eyes were opened up there because very early on in police work, I started seeing there is good and there is evil, and it's in your face. And it was working in the sheriff's department specifically the first two or three years. I worked the largest jail in, on planet Earth called the Los Angeles County Jail. I became friends, probably best friends, with an evangelical uh, Protestant Christian, and uh, we've remained friends to this very day. He's the one that very early on in my 20s told me, hey, man, if you're going to last in police work, he says, you need to start reading the Bible and start getting to know who Jesus was. And so he wasn't trying to pull me out of the Catholic Church. He was just trying to get me to read scripture. And so I had no problems with it. I'm saying, hey, I'm a Catholic. That's the book that the Catholic Church holds as the word of God. So probably in my mid to late 20s, I started becoming curious about Jesus who I've seen all my life in church and statues and imagery and crucifixes, but I really didn't know him. I knew about him. And so I started reading scripture as a result of my buddy at work was always pushing scripture on me. And I had what the catechism calls an interior conversion. I fell in love with Jesus, but I still love police work. And at the same time, I was also involved in boxing and martial arts and, and teaching as well. But now at this point, I'm saying, wow, this the, the whole the whole Christology, Jesus just opened up another part of my brain. Well, I, I, I kept on doing what I was doing day in and day out. And as I would take people to jail, I just felt I worked East L.A., South Central L.A. most of my career. And so I felt this inclination to start sharing with a lot of these guys that I was taking to jail and, and women. I'll share with them my faith in Jesus Christ. Say, hey, are you Catholic? Yeah, I'm a Catholic too. I say, you're going to jail. You got coke in your pocket, a stolen gun, your bills, so-and-so. By the way, you know who Jesus is? And so <laughs> it was just very natural for me. Yeah. It was very natural for me to start doing that because I was taking Catholics to jail for 20 years. And so a lot of prisoners, you get two phone calls in jail per, the, per, per your constitutional rights. A lot of people call up their spouses. They, some people call up their priests. I get calls at the station, and they would say, can I speak with Deputy Romero? Yeah, this is Father Richards. Yes, Father, how can I help you? Uh, you got one of my parishioners in custody. You took him to jail. I said, yeah, yeah. He was doing this and that, his bail, so-and-so. That's not why I called you. I called you to, to tell you that he's very touched. He was crying from the jail cell. He was saying that you prayed for him. You wow. put them, gave them. And so, Steve, that's the way this started for me. I never intended to be a Catholic lay evangelist, speaker, and an author. I thought I was going to be a cop for 35 or 40 years. I love police work. But I could see little by little, as God was opening doors for me, I started having less passion for boxing. I had my own boxing gym, too, in, in East L.A. I, started, I had less passion for boxing and, and police work. And I started loving evangelization, apologetics more and more. And so when I hit the 20-year mark, my wife told me, I think you're called to be an evangelist in the Catholic Church and an apologist. And uh, somebody recorded me a bootleg cassette tape. They sent it to Mother Angelica. Mother Angelica's secretary called me up and says, Mother would like to fly you into Italy Etienne. She finds your story very interesting. Uh, I came out on Life on the Rock, the very first show with Jeff Caven, as per Mother Angelica's request. And from that moment on, I began getting asked to speak all over the country. And so at that point, I just had to really prayerfully 
see, if, if the Lord wanted me to stay in police work or wanted to, me to step out in faith and become a Catholic evangelist, and that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, I didn't realize it went back that far and that it happened sort of accidentally that way. So that's very interesting. Well, you know, something that struck me right out of the starting gate about this book is that you don't make any bones about coming at politics from a decidedly blue-collar, working-class perspective. And not just that, but, you know, this is the kind of person who probably would have traditionally voted Democrat, this profile that you have. Why do you think Trump appeals so strongly to the working man, even as a Republican, when so many of them are union Democrats and lifelong Democrats? Where does that come from? Here's what, His son calls him, Trump Jr. calls his father... Uh, a blue-collar billionaire. Yeah. In other words, just because he's he's you know he's got a big fat checking account, I believe, and I'm convinced, just by watching him the last three and a half years and following his presidency, he cares for Main Street, not Wall Street. In other words, he cares for the little guy. I, I see President Trump. Uh, versus the opposition party the democrats when people are hungry they want to feed them and this way you stay beholden to the plantation and you never leave the plantation right trump he doesn't want to necessarily give hungry people food he wants to teach them how to fish and that's altogether different and he's proven this by the fact that we had we had the greatest economy in the last 60 years, lowest unemployment amongst Hispanics, lowest unemployment amongst blacks, lowest unemployment amongst females, lowest unemployment across the board. This is the greatest economy in my lifetime up until this Chinese communist Wuhan virus, which was another topic. And so uh, I believe, again, St. James talks about faith without works is dead. This president is demonstrating his love for the country, his love for the American people. What he, what Hillary Clinton calls the deplorables, or what he calls the forgotten men. Uh, he's shown his love for them by raising everybody up uh, in, in in the greatest economy that we ever that we've ever seen in our lifetime up until a few weeks ago. Yeah. You know, and something else that you brought up in the book that I actually really appreciated was the fact that, you know, he uses off-color language, even profanity at times, and yet you present this not so much as an objectionable thing, but something that is kind of, uh, we're able to respect and appreciate. I mean, he's brutally honest. He talks like men talk. Do you think the fact that he isn't overly polite or diplomatic makes him more relatable to the average voter? Absolutely, Steve. Look, at we've tried the polite talk with John McCain, Mitt Romney, the Bushes, Reagan, and guess what? They run roughshod over those politicians. Now, I don't really have a problem the way he talks. I'll tell you why. Because when I voted for President Trump, I didn't vote for my, a pastor. I voted right. for a president, a politician. We already have a pastor. His name's the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, verse 11. John chapter 10, verses 14. We're not voting for a pastor. We want a president to protect us against enemies, foreign and domestic. And I want a president also that as a Catholic, what, what do you and me want to do as a Catholic? We want to evangelize the Great Commission. We want to bring in the social kingship of Christ 
according to Pope St. Pius the ninth or 10th. That's the goal of the Catholic, okay? President Trump has created an atmosphere, an atmosphere of religious liberty for Catholics unlike any president in my lifetime. So it's our job to evangelize and win the world for Christ. I just want a president to leave us alone. Give us the opportunity to work, deregulate some of these, you know, uh, over-regulated, uh, you know, federal laws that we have. Give people a level playing field. Give people religious liberty. That's all I can ask for. It's not up to him to, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's up to us. But the fact is, he's created the environment. In fact, Father Pavone, who, who uh, he endorsed, he forwarded this book. The Catholic vote for Trump. He says this. He says, if President Trump, if Donald Trump was not where he's at right now, i.e., president, we wouldn't be, we Catholics wouldn't be where we're at right now. Father Pavone says, for eight years under Barack Obama, I was being hauled into court and I was fighting these petty lawsuits one after another. Uh, over issues of religious liberty, myself, the poor sisters, little sisters of the poor, and other Catholic apostolates, he says now, that's a new sheriff in town. He says, President Trump has let Catholics know. He's put Catholics on notice. Guess what? You will never be prosecuted under my administration, Catholics, for religious liberty issues. Go out there and do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because this religious liberty discussion is contentious, especially among traditional Catholics, because this idea of, you know, it used to be condemned and now is it. But we live in a secular world. We don't live in a world of confessional states. We don't live in a world where Catholicism is part of the Constitution. And maybe we should want that, but that's not the world we have. And so religious liberty is a fundamental component of living in a secular, pluralistic society like we live in now. So, I mean, I can feel the difference, you know, it, it, as as a Catholic media guy, I, I was worried all the time under under President Obama uh, that I was going to be, you know, prosecuted by the IRS or whatever for just having opinions about things. Now, I feel much more free to say the things that I really believe in without expecting somebody to come knocking at my door. So you can you can really feel the difference there. I would agree with you on that. But what do you say to the Catholics, and it, and it often is Catholics, you know, who complain constantly about Trump's character? You know, he's had multiple marriages. He's made these crass comments about women. He's lived this sort of playboy lifestyle, and people bring up stuff from his past. Um, should those things matter to voters? We spent years with Clinton talking about how character matters. How does that fit in here? Again, here's what I would say, Steve, and here's the apologetic side of me. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes every pope, every cardinal, every bishop, past and present. That's you and I. That's the whole human condition. We're all sinners, and sinners need a Savior. And so I didn't vote for Trump, and I'm not going to vote for him again uh, in 2020 because he's, he's a sinful man, because that would disqualify everybody. The fact of the matter is, I'll, maybe that's the dark side of me. Maybe it's my concupiscence. I kind of like somebody to defend themselves against bullies. I'm kind of enjoying this, yeah. uh, you know, Steve. I, 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 you know, again, maybe that's the dark side of me. But let's just be objective here. This guy, President Trump, 
is slammed 24 hours a day, seven days a week by the mainstream media, college universities, Hollywood, a late night talk shows, you know, Saturday Night Live. His wife is insulted. His kids are insulted. And, and, and you're going to think that this guy doesn't have righteous indignation? I mean, uh, uh, about this, this is a constant narrative against him. And then when he sees the double standard in the criminal justice system, one standard for the Clintons, for example, liberal progressives, and another standard for conservatives, like, you know, uh, like General Flynn, for example, just to juxtapose two. Of course, this guy is going to have occasional outbursts. I mean, this guy is human. He's not Jesus Christ. He's not perfect. But the fact is, again, I spent 20 years in police locker rooms, 15 years in boxing gyms. I've heard this stuff before. And guess <laughs> right. what? Yeah. I didn't, I've used this language. I'm not proud of it. That's why there's confession. And so I'm not going to judge somebody's character as a president by the bad words that they use. I mean, that's crazy. The, the fact is, we got a country to save. And, and we got encroaching socialism by the Democrat Party coming into this country. And we're worried about the president's tone. And we're worried about his speech. Are you kidding me? Look at I, I tell Catholics, do you want a president who speaks politically correct, like Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, but they do great evil through their executive orders and their policies, like Obama and Clinton. Or do you want a president who speaks politically incorrect, like President Trump, but his executive orders and his policies have given us, A, the greatest economy in 60 years, B, the most pro-life president we've ever seen, C, the most pro-religious liberty president we've ever seen, and I'd say also the Catholic friendliest president we've ever seen. I mean, it's it's hard to dispute those impressions, but going beyond his tone and his words, what do you say to the people who say, but look at this guy. I mean, he's got photos of him with models draped all over him. He's had multiple marriages. He's got all this stuff. Is he really even a Christian? You know, he says that, uh, that he ran for office because he really just loves the country and is grateful for the opportunities. These people who are suspicious of his motives and his sincerity, he's obviously, I mean, he's doing things that we can see, but what do you, how do you address those concerns when people bring them up to you? Because I think they're a big sticking point for a lot of folks. Here's what I would, I would say, why his motives to me are genuine and pure. The man works for free. This, this is a drop-the-like right. moment. How many of you out there would work 10 to 15 hours a day for free and at the same time implement orders and policies where you're insulted and your wife and your kids nonstop. Are you kidding me? The only person that would step in, you quoting Bishop Olmstead, into the breach, the only type of man that would step into the breach and work for free. In fact, his paycheck right now is being completely earmarked to the coronavirus task force. Okay? Works yeah. for free. Doesn't work an eight-hour day. He hasn't seen an eight-hour day since he took the White House. Right. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter is, again, he's subjected to nonstop vitriol 
the only way you you would step in the breach and do all those things that I've enumerated is if you have genuine love for America and for Americans. How many people, again, are going to do something like this for free and put themselves out to be insulted? Because he has a past, obviously, and he knows that was going to be scrutinized. And he says, you know what? It's, it's more important for me because he's really not, he's not really the right versus left type of, of, of politician. You know what he is? He's a pragmatist. He sees a problem and he's a common sense guy. He fixes it. He's a contractor. Problem? Let me fix it. Let yeah. me construct. Yeah. He, he, he's not so much the right the, and the left issues, but the fact is, I would have to say without a doubt, that he's definitely had a conversion on the issue of abortion based on the way he's been governing the last three and a half years. I mean, I don't know how to explain that in any other way. You know, we all had, I think, our doubts and our questions, even as as people decided whether or not to vote for him in 2016. And I, I mean, I made the case outside of, you know, 1 Peter 5, that he seemed like he was at least making the right noises in that direction. But, I mean he's he's done more than any president in my lifetime that i've seen i mean this seems to be pretty pretty hard to dispute here's one here's just one steve how many presidents in our lifetime have ever went to the march for life to speak right none the most i think we got were recorded messages from bush yeah bushes gave recorded messages but none of them ever dare step out there and put their face out there and align themselves with the pro-life march. Okay? Yeah. yeah. And by the way, you said he worked for free, but didn't you point out in the book that his network worth has actually come down significantly since he started the presidency? Yeah, uh, especially, especially right now. Because, again, you have a lot of people that don't like him, and yeah. so there's a lot of people that just boycott anything that he's affiliated with. So, yeah. He's taken even a personal financial hit by becoming president because let's just be honest, 50% of the country wants nothing to do with him. So when they see a Trump hotel or anything that's associated with him, they uh, they just boycott it. And he knew that. He knew that yeah. coming in. And once again, so if it's a simply financial interest, once again, that, that argument doesn't work because he's actually taken a hit as a result, personally, as a result of being president. Yeah, I mean, and it seems obvious reading the news that a lot of people who used to be happy to be seen with him now have completely turned on him uh, because he's on the wrong side of their pet issues. Let's pivot to uh, immigration and your Mexican heritage, right? So obviously, being a Latino in America, there is there is a political component to that community. Uh, why, in your view, are Latino voters traditionally aligned so strongly with the Democratic Party and more importantly, is that something you think can be changed as the demographic continues to grow in this country, which it continues to do exponentially? And then what about immigration? We can talk a little bit more about that, but I want to hit your background as a Mexican-American. Okay, here's the macro view of the Hispanic culture, especially in the Southwest, since that's what I'm familiar with. Okay, The fact is, there's no conservative or even quasi-conservative media outlet for Hispanics. Everything that you turn on in Spanish, uh, Univision, Telemundo, Galavision, everything is left to hard left. 
So the average Hispanic, when they get home from work and they want to turn on the television and just throw their feet up, they're getting the equivalent of CNN and MSNBC every single night. And this is constant anti-Trump diatribe. So number one, the Hispanics are getting a bad message. It's just like uh, Adolf Hitler or Joseph Goebel told Adolf Hitler, he said, hey, boss, keep repeating a lie over and over again and the people will start to believe it. That's what's happened in Spanish. There's been a spell, if you will. There's been, uh, I mean, just a tsunami brainwashing through the media, the power of the Spanish media, which is in the pockets of the left. And I know that because when I lived in L.A. for, for several, probably my last 10 years, I was the constantly debating once a month, going to Univision, uh, Telemundo, CNN Latino, and debating issues uh, on, on, on basically the culture wars. And so another reason that Hispanics, I believe, without knowing, vote for the Democrats is because the Democrats do a lot of lobbying in Hispanic neighborhoods, and they do a good work of lobbying. Their presence is very strong in Hispanic neighborhoods. And typically, Republicans, they're not, they don't lobby in Hispanic neighborhoods, and they don't have a real big presence, a big, a big footprint. And so you'll find, again, a lot of the social justice warriors, NGOs, all over the, uh, the Spanish communities. And here they are saying, oh, by the way, are you registered to vote? We'll sign you up. Oh, by the way, you should vote Democrat. We're Democrats. And uh, it's, it's because of the Democrat that you're receiving this benevolence and this, uh, you know, these charities. And so I would say the Democrats have a very good ground game in, in the barrios. And, and, yeah. and again, and the left controls the Hispanic media. And so that's what pains me is because I know Hispanics are social conservatives. When you talk to a Hispanic and have a cup of coffee or tea with them and say, what do you believe about abortion, homosexual marriage, medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, euthanasia, transgender bathrooms? Steve, they line up with us. Right. They're on board with us. Yeah. But there's a disconnect because, once again, the whole, the whole Hitler-Joseph Goebbels strategy, keep repeating a lie or the Alinsky strategy. You just keep repeating a lie over and over again and people will start accepting it as the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what about the issue of immigration then? Because, you know, Trump's been all about the wall from the beginning. Uh, he just signed an executive order temporarily stopping all immigration during the pandemic. He's seen by many as xenophobic is the word that they like, you know, afraid of outsiders. Obviously, most of the bishops uh, seem to be on the opposite side of this issue from Trump. So what's your view on that as a Hispanic Catholic? I would say that <clears throat> President Trump is his immigration policy, uh, policy basically is a template from St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, what he talked about immigration. When you read St. Thomas on immigration, it parallels to what President Trump is doing today. In fact, if St. Thomas the Angelic doctor was alive, pr President Trump would hire him as his immigration go-to guy. Because I'm telling you, it's a it's it's cut and paste what President Trump is doing. But but let's go to something more contemporary. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2241. It's very short. It's a very short paragraph on immigration. I would say, I would argue, and I tell people, President Trump is following CCC 2241. Here's what it says. 
the more prosperous nations, that would be us, are obliged, here it is, to the extent they're able. Ah, that's a key word, to the extent they're able. To welcome the foreigner in search of the security and means of livelihood, which he cannot find in this country of origin. Here's the second part of it. Political authorities, for the sake of the common good for which they're responsible, may make the exercise of the right to immigrate, here it is, subject to various juridical conditions, especially with regard to the immigrants' duties toward their country of adoption. Ah, so what does it say there? It's Romans 13, 13. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and render to God what belongs to God. The church is saying, Romans 13, the government sets juridical conditions for immigration law, not the bishops, not even the pope, not priests, not the church. Immigration laws are made by the country. Romans 13, Catechism of the Catholic Church. Here's the third part of 2241. Immigrants are obliged to respect with gratitude the material and spiritual heritage of the country that receives them. Here it is. To obey its laws and to assist in carrying civic burdens. So notice the third point here, that immigrants, whether legal or illegal, you're called, the church calls you, as you're a baptized Catholic Christian, you have to obey the laws of the country. Well, guess what? That country has immigration laws, which the church says they have the right to enact these laws. And so the three, the three important qualifiers to 2241, I would say, and you never hear this. I hate to say it. It pains me when I hear our bishops, the successors of the apostles, when they talk about this issue, they don't quote 2241. No, they're, they don't. They're, they're, they they're drop saying, it completely. Yeah, they're saying, oh, mercy, mercy, uh, be kind to the foreigner. I'm saying, Bishop, open up your catechism. It's right there, 2241. And, and here's the, the three qualifiers for 2241. It, it says that there's obviously that no nation can absorb an unlimited number of immigrants. Okay, that's, that's common sense tells you that. Okay, that's, that's in the catechism. And that's precisely, by the way, our country absorbs more immigrants than any other country on planet Earth. We take in a million legal immigrants a year. The next closest country is Germany. They take like uh, a little bit on the low 300,000 immigrants a year. So the U.S. by far, we take more legal immigrants every year than any other country. That's not even to say the illegal ones that come in. And the second qualifier in 2241, again, is that countries have the right to set juridical policy, juridical laws that must be met for immigration. And the third thing that 2241 jumps out at me is that it's the duty of immigrants, legal and illegal, to respect the laws of the nation to which they're emigrating to. It, it's, it doesn't do anybody any good when we have our leaders in the church when they talk about immigration and they omit to say what the church actually teaches and they give their own opinions this is what i just laid out right now is a very different picture of how immigration uh is, is advocated sometimes by the leadership in the church so why do you think that's happening? I mean, what are the bishops? I don't think they don't know what the catechism says. So why are they avoiding teaching it? Okay. All right. 
I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. The big (laughs) pink elephant in the room that very few Catholics want to talk about. Because the Democrat Party, they want illegal immigrants because they're automatically going to become their voting block because of the entitlements that you, you receive by the Democrat Party and all the freebies. I mean, you can't beat Santa Claus, Steve. They know that these people are automatically going to vote for them blindly. And secondly, the reason uh, I think the bishops don't say anything is because they receive millions and millions of dollars from the federal government. Who has the checking account? Who controls the purse? Congress controls the purse. Congress is run by the Democrats. And when the Democrats are in power, they've given all this large uh, amounts of money to the USCCB for their social justice programs. In fact, the USCCB's budget is about $200,000 a year. That's their, their working budget, payroll, everything else. They receive about $100 million a year from the federal government. So 50% of the money that the USCCB receives, that's our bishops in the U.S., comes from the federal government. Now think about that. You've heard the term buying somebody's silence. Do you think you're going to slap the, you know, the, the person that, the, slap the nose that feeds you? If the Democrat Party, through legislation, is paying half of your, of, of your payroll, you're going you're gonna to be silent about the issues that upset them, like abortion, homosexual marriage, and all these other issues, because once again, they've bought their silence. And, and I'm telling you, uh, Father Richard Newhouse, the great Lutheran convert to the Catholic faith, uh, rest in peace, who, the, who was the editor and founder of that magazine, First Things, he, says it, he said it several times in his writings. He says, right now, unfortunately, the U.S. bishops are the Democrat Party in robes. I say that with pain, Steve. I'm in pain saying that, yeah. but that's a fact. But so, but then, I mean, most Hispanics in this country are Catholic still, right? And so they're under the spell of this stuff. How do you have hope that this, which is a hugely growing demographic, Hispanics in America, that they are going to be able to to kind of snap out of this media blitz, the bishops and their priests not telling them this stuff? Are they going to start to see what really matters here? Because we're we're in a fight for the soul of the country. Yeah, here's what happens. The same thing happens with Caucasian Catholics, and I, I would probably assume with Asian Catholics and Black Catholics. And that's what happened to me. What happened to me? I went from a low-information Catholic to a high-information Catholic or an informed Catholic. I noticed Catholics... As they start going deeper into their faith, we call that an interior conversion or a metanoia. As they start growing in their faith, they start hungering for knowledge. They want to feed the intellect. That intellectual side is stimulated. And so as as I and other people that I've known, I mean, hundreds, and I have these conversations all the time. As you start growing in your faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church, you discover very quickly that the Democrat Party is a party of death at this point in time. It's not the party of John F. Kennedy or, or Robert F. Kennedy. This is not the party of our grandparents. This is the party that's been hijacked by every, you know, progressive leftist interest group out there. They've taken a bite of the apple. 
And it's a completely novel party. I mean, just to make my point, I mean, think about what government, Governor Cuomo said the other day. Oh, this coronavirus, you know, I know it's, it's going down and stuff and we're hitting a plateau. God had nothing to do with it. Remember in 2016, the Democrats voted whether they, they should keep God uh, in their party platform, whether God should even be. And, and they actually booed God, the, uh, the delegates mm. in the convention. I mean, and the list goes on and on. Tom Perez, the chair of the DNC, he announced that pro-life Americans are no longer welcome in the Democrat Party. Governor Cuomo, New York State, he declared pro-life Americans have no place in New York City. Okay, uh, Governor Cuomo said in a speech, he said, I'm not interested in, in making America great again. America was never all that great. What about Democrat Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois? He asked the federal judge, Amy Barrett, who's a practicing Catholic, he said, do you consider yourself an Orthodox Catholic? I mean, that's pretty obvious. From If you look at the video, from the tone of that Senator Durbin, the way he asked her, he, he obviously believed that Amy Barrett's Catholic faith disqualified her from being a federal judge. What about Senator Diana Feinstein? She, at a Senate hearing, she told the same judge, federal judge nominee, Amy Barrett, she says, how many kids do you have? I think she has like six or seven kids. And she said, the dogma lives loudly within you. And then Senator Feinstein went on to say that her Catholic faith, Amy Barrett, is of concern. I mean, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan said it years ago, and I'd have to just reiterate what he said. He said, uh, the I did not leave the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party left me. So, I mean, there's hope that a lot of people will come to the conclusion that you did. Yeah, absolutely. You know why? Because number one, common sense. People that have common sense, and you don't have to go to school for that. And people also, you know, through the sacraments that we received, we've got what's called census fidelium, where we have that sense because of the sacramental graces that we received, we understand when something is wrong, when something's just off, when something doesn't sound right. You know, like if you heard a homily and somebody said, uh, with a, you know, he has two PhDs from Stanford School of Divinity, and he says, there are four persons in the Trinity. You can be a high school dropout, but if you're a practicing Catholic, the census fidelium is going to kick in. You're going to say, I don't care if he has two PhDs from Stanford, and he's wrong. What he just said was right. wrong. Okay. Exactly. So that's the sense of the faith that God has given us to protect us against these deceivers and liars. Let's pivot back to some of the stuff that Trump is doing. Um, talk to me about federal judges, not just Supreme Court, but across the board. What have you seen him do there that you like? Well, let's just let's just be honest. Uh, I've read that he's appointed over 200 federal judges. These are judges in the lower courts, but but not so much that he's just appointed federal judges. People have vetted them, like Father uh, Pavone and others, other good Catholics. They're saying they are people of faith, men and women of faith, and they are people who are originalist. In other words, they read the Constitution, and they don't believe it's evolving like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and other progressive liberals that say, oh, yeah, the Constitution, it evolves, you know, with, with every 40 years or something, with every generation. No. 
President Trump is putting people of faith that are originalist, strict constitutionalist, that don't believe that it evolves. And guess what? This is how the left took over basically the culture and turned it into the culture of death. When you look at all the issues that we're fighting right now, all this happened as a result of the left. They knew that they couldn't win these issues in the ballot box, abortion, homosexual marriage. So how did they do it? They did it with their friends in high places by judicial fiat, and they rammed this down our throat. President Trump, he gets it. He's using their tactics against them. These are their tactics. And so now, see, Barack Obama left a lot of vacancies because they all believe, the swamp all believe that Hillary Clinton was going to be a shoo-in. So he says, I can leave 100, I can leave 140 vacancies. Hillary is going to fill them all in with Ruth Bader Ginsburg type appointments. That's where he was wrong. He gave President Trump a big gift. And not only him, us, we're the beneficiaries of this gift because these people are going to be there for decades. And again, this is the way, you know, using a military strategy, you have two opposing armies that are facing each other off. And then one army says, hey, break off a platoon and flank these guys from the back. And let's, let's okay, let's corral them in. This is what President Trump is doing, okay? He's doing an end run on the swamp and on the culture of death by stacking the deck now, not just for six months, for decades with people that are going to give us religious liberty. That's all we ask for, a level playing field. People that have common sense, they're gonna be common sense to these to the federal bench and to these other you know judiciaries and so to me uh, if there's only one reason to vote for him again in 2020 it's because he's promised to give us conservative judges that have a traditional worldview and men of faith and he's kept his promises and i mean they must have ruth bader ginsburg under the most severe protective custody right now imagine you know, she's like 950 years old she keeps getting sick. She keeps having to go in for different stuff. Everybody keeps thinking that she's dead, and then she comes back again. Um, there's no way that she's not going to retire in the next four years or, you know, natural causes. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and again, I have no idea how this woman is uh, is surviving because she's had a lot of medical problems. And, and I hope and pray that she comes to Christ. I hope and pray that she has this epiphany and comes to this understanding that Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And, uh, you know, I wish I wish the salvation of her soul. Yeah. All right. So let's you said you were talking about Trump's tactics. Let's talk about another tactic that has really been under scrutiny lately. And that's the way that he goes after the media. So their bias is obviously incredibly overt to the point where it's ridiculous in many cases. Um, but, you know, does it really help things in your view when he singles them out, embarrasses them, accuses them of being fake news, et cetera? Because for a lot of people, it's really cringeworthy to watch that. What do you think he's trying to accomplish when he does that? Is it just ego or is there something else going on? No, there's, there's something. This is huge. What he's doing is something that everybody knows is a problem because the media, they act like, uh, you know, the fourth branch of government. And they, they, I mean, they have that much power and they intimidate, they bully people, especially conservatives, people that are have a more traditional worldview. And this is the first Republican president 
that dares takes on the media, okay? Because the media is just a mouthpiece for the Democrat Party. The media is a mouthpiece for the elites, the globalists, like Bill Gates and George Soros, the socialists, the communists, the Hollywood elites, uh, the New World Order, academia. The media is their mouthpiece. They're the mouthpiece for Planned Parenthood. Everybody who hates President Trump hates Jesus, by the way. Just I just want to throw that PS in there. Okay? <laughs> there are people sitting at home furiously scribbling. <laughs> and so I, I find it a breath of fresh air that we have somebody standing up and saying, Goliath, you've been cussing out God for 40 days and 40 nights. No more. It stops here. This guy's actually standing in the breach. I mean, because how? I'll tell you the most significant the significant wars are fought. How they're fought with words. Sure. And President Trump, you know what they, they, they don't like, Steve, is that he's giving them a taste of their medicine. That's exactly hardcore. Yeah. 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 Because let, let's just be honest. When when you, when you look at people like. Take a look at MSNBC all day long and look at the, the filthy, vile things they say about President Trump and conservatives and Mike Pence. Look at CNN. Look at Bill Maher, uh, Stephen Colbert, J Jimmy Kimmel, the ladies on The View. Nobody complains about them. They're, you hear crickets from the Democrats. You know, but boy, President Trump is using their medicine against them. And they're saying, foul, foul. Time out. You can't talk like that. That's the way we talk. Liberal Democrat progressives. You've got an R next to your name. You can't talk like that. You've got to talk like McCain. You've got to talk like Romney. You know, you've got to talk like Bush. You can't be talking like that. You know what? Uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, he's a counterpuncher. Yeah. You know, he that's that's who he is. And, and he's going to push back. And, I, and I'm just... To me, it's a breath of fresh air that we have somebody because the the swamp and the elites, it's not so much that they want they don't like him. They don't like us. Okay? Us. And I'm the right. little guy, the little guy. He's just standing in the gap for us. And you know what? He's pushing back. And and what he's doing by calling them fake news, you know what he's doing? He's pulling the curtain back, and we're looking at the Wizard of Oz. And we're saying, there's that phony. Now you hear even the Pope's using that term. Other politicians, you know, other CEOs, fake news. Nobody ever used that term. But President Trump has taken the blindfold off our eyes. And now we're saying, wow, the king does have no clothes with most of these media outlets. And so I'm enjoying it, Steve. I'm enjoying the ride. Well, I mean, don't you think he's giving a lot of people a sense that it's not all hopeless and pointless. I mean, that their vote actually matters, that they can not be stuck in this, you know, irreversible trajectory southward uh, forever, because that's where it felt like everything was going, you know, six years ago. Oh, come on. I mean, to me, in the present situation that we find ourselves in with the Chinese communist Wuhan virus, I couldn't think of another person that I feel more safe with in the White House than Donald Donald J. Trump. Uh, I mean, it, we we couldn't have the the more perfect person to take on whether this thing was man caused <coughs> or accidentally unleashed. We don't know yet. But the fact is, 
I feel very safe with him because when you listen to him, he's not a doomsday prophet like a lot of the people that surround him, like Fauci and, and some of the other doctors. He's always giving us hope saying don't worry we're working on opening up the economy by phases we're not going to let the economy tank he's giving people hope because i'm going to tell you something what's stressing out a lot of people and we seem to forget it and, and president trump gets it i got two sons that work phoenix pd they work the night shift maryvale pm watch they told me dad and this is just not here domestic violence calls have spiked uh, alcohol consumption, uh, drunk driving, drunk in public, drunkenness has spiked. Drug usage has spiked. Uh, suicides have spiked. Not only in Phoenix, all over the country, because I have cop friends all over the country, because people are depressed. If you don't have Jesus in your life like you and I have, you're going to say, man, I'm not working. I don't work for four weeks. You're going to go get whatever little, little bit you have in the savings account. You're going to go buy marijuana. You're going to go buy alcohol. You're going to sit in front of your computer and not pray the rosary. You're going to be watching pornography. And so the, the, the supposed cure, this quarantine, this self-quarantine, semi-lockdown, is it seems to be worse than the actual virus. And I'm just, I can't wait till President Trump uh, opens up the economy again. But again, he's got this pushback because he's got these doctors that I believe that are good friends with Bill Gates in the pockets of Bill Gates. So, you know, he doesn't want to make a misstep and say, the doctors say, we told you so. We got PhDs. We told you so. And so he's between a rock and a hard place. And we got to pray for him every day. But again, I feel safer with him than anybody else being uh, in the White House right now. Um. No, I mean, obviously, you know, this is the issue that's on everybody's minds. And, of course, the economy, you mentioned it earlier, that's been one of his biggest bragging rights as a president. He's had it in his favor all the way up until this year. Jobs, trade deals, more domestic manufacturing, high-performing stock market, and then, bam, this pandemic hits. Obviously, you wrote the book before coronavirus. How do you think his handling of this and the economic aftermath are going to affect his prospects for re-election. He's handling this as best he can. I mean, he was dealt a bad deck of cards with this uh, pandemic, again, because he was a shoo-in in 2020 because the average person left and right in the middle, they want to know, am I working? Do I got money in my pocket? And so the left, to quote Rahm Emanuel, they say, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah, they're going to use this as a bully pulpit. And it's, it, you, you see that they're trying to blame him for this. They're trying to put this around his neck like an albatross. And, and they keep inferring when, when you watch these uh, presidential uh, interviews that are these, uh, these uh, White House press briefing interviews every day. The mainstream media, the liberals are trying to blame him because they're asking him all these gotcha questions to make him look bad. In fact, I think today he stopped the, the, the press conferences because he says, you know what? All this is is a speech and debate. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So he's done with it. And I'm glad. But I'll tell you, the advantage that we have right now is that if there's anybody, and we all know this to be true, if there's anybody that can reboot the economy, it's Donald J. Trump. 
He he's the only one that can get us to where we were at at warp speed. Secondly, a, a, a thing that we have that helps us out is that the Democrats are running probably one of their worst candidates I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. Are you? <laughs> I mean, I don't me? care what you think about if you're Democrat, Republican, that man cannot put a sentence together. That That's what I was about to say. The last couple of days, if you've noticed, his wife is speaking for him. And he just no, I have not noticed that. Yeah, and he that. just sits there smiling right next to his wife. She's doing all the press interviews, and he just stays there and smiles. People know <laughs> that there's something happening or not happening there. And I'm not making fun of the guy. I mean, I feel bad for him. I wish his salvation. I hope he would become come into the church with 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 a complete open heart and purge his life from his from his wicked uh, uh, intellectual policies that he's embraced in his heart. But the fact is, this man is not prepared to run this country. Again, his medical problems are pretty obvious. Number two, I mean, they, they this guy is one of the best friends that the Chinese have ever had. I mean, they call him Beijing Biden. And the fact of the matter is, China is a problem. They're a communist atheist country. Whether this was unleashed upon the world by design or by accident, nonetheless, it comes from Wuhan, China. And the fact is... If we think that we're going to, uh, if, if Biden's going to play hardball and get any answers from the Chinese communists, boy, you got something else coming to you because they have Biden in their pocket. Well, I mean, you know, and Stephen Moser, who was my guest on last week's podcast, who's an expert on China, yeah. I mean, he firmly believes that the Chinese had an accidental leak within their own country and then they decided screw it we're just going to release it on the whole uh, whole world so that everybody's in the same boat that we're in and nobody's going to have any advantage over us makes sense to so, me yeah, but you're not going to have those kind of questions asked do you think that they're going to try to replace Biden at the last minute or have his VP take over i mean something's going on there i don't know what but it doesn't make sense to have that man in control of anything no, it doesn't. Uh, but at this point, I just have to remind Catholics, let's not lose sight of this. I'll tell you what gets me through all this stuff, Steve, is that I know who's on the throne. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And guess what? Jesus Christ is not going to get impeached. He doesn't have to run for office every four or six years. He's not going to get recalled. He's not going to resign. He's not going to get fired. Jesus Christ is the King of the ages, the Bible says. He's the king of king and lord of lords. And whatever happens tomorrow, let's remember the words of St. Faustina. Jesus, I trust in you. Whatever happens, come what may. All of us, especially if you're in a state of grace. If you're in a state of grace, you are in the palms of God the Father's hands. And you got nothing to fear. Because God is not going to allow anything to happen to you. That is not according to his permissive will or his direct will. So remember this, okay? Just cling to Jesus, cling to the cross, and we're going to get through this and repeat throughout the day. Just remind yourself, when you start getting full of anxiety and stress, just say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesse, any parting thoughts about the book or the election before we go? Yeah, I think... Uh, this book, A Catholic Vote for Trump, it just got translated this week in Spanish. Um, again, if there's Catholics that are on the fence in your family that want to sit down, and it's a th quick read. It's thin. It's not, 
if you want to see the issues and if you want to see from two thoughtful Catholics, my buddy, he's an Irish guy myself, I think we make the case for Catholics, and it doesn't matter what party you're from, that this guy is the most Catholic-friendly president we've had in our lifetime. He's a friend of Catholics. And he just told the U.S. bishops, I think yesterday, which basically, it, you know, too bad I couldn't add it to my book. He had a conference called the U.S. bishops, and he told them, he says, I just want to let you know, if the other side wins, you guys are going to lose. You Catholics are going to lose a lot of your liberties if the other side wins. President wow. Trump is the greatest friend of the Catholic Church we've had in my lifetime. Proof of the pudding, the Father Frank Pavone, who forwarded the book, sits as an advisor to President Trump. President of Priests for Life is an advisor to President Trump. The most well, there you have it, everybody. You know, the book is A Catholic Vote for Trump. The author is Jesse Romero. Jesse, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. We'll have to do it again. All right. Sounds good. Take care. God bless. You're listening to the One Peter Five Podcast. That's all the time we have for this episode of the One Peter Five Podcast. I'd like to remind you about that promo code that I talked about at the beginning of the show. Go to tanbooks.com. Use the promo code 1P515 at checkout. And if you do that, you'll get 15% off your order. That's good for the next week. Today is April 30th. It activates today, so it'll be good for the next week. May 6th, I believe, is going to be the final day of that. Uh, so thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're coming in on iTunes or other podcast services, please make sure to leave us a review there. If you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and click that subscribe link and the notification button. The more subscribers we have, the better. It spreads our content. It gives people... Uh, a reason to watch the things that we have coming out. Uh, it lets you know when new episodes drop. Also, of course, as always, if you like our work, if you want to support it, if you want to see more, go to onepeter5.com forward slash donate, put a couple bucks in, help us pay our bills and keep things going. Until next time, I'm Steve Skojak. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the One Peter Five podcast. We'll see you next time. God bless.